0: Did I read it right in the Sun Times that the White Sox are the more interesting team this offseason? That they may actually be getting more coverage than the North Siders? How is this even possible? Well, that's that was Rick Morrissey's. Oh well, team. him. Yeah. He doesn't know what he's talking about.
1: Uh, but you know what, I, I I think it is possible though though, don't you? I mean, what are the Cubs? The Cubs are, are just a team in transition. They sign Dansby Swanson, they make a few other moves, nothing you know, earth shattering but they're not in a rebuild, they're not in the championship contention window. The White Sox are this weird soap opera, phenomenal flop disappointment thing where they're supposed to be really competitive and great and yet they were terrible last year and- Their
0: storylines are better. Yeah, there's just story arcs. There's storylines and there's story arcs all throughout the White Sox. What the Cubs are is, eh, they put a team together, eh, nobody really expects anything, eh, whatever. Uh, when the ivy's growing and then you can go out there into the beer garden. Uh, it's basically what the Cubs have always been in the minds of most White Sox fans. The Sox, on the other hand, all the dramas here, you have you have ownership that there's billboards around the stadium saying sell the team, Jerry. You have a front office that should have been fired that, that is still in place. Getting one more roll of the dice with a core that they put together and something they called a rebuild that wasn't really a rebuild after a couple of years with the old man Larusa getting in there, falling asleep in a dugout, taking advice from fans, and basically steering a ship that was put together to win right into the rocks. And now you've got the young, brand new manager that comes walking in, really young compared to Larusa. Not a high bar to set in terms of youth <laughs> compared to Larusa. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's basic. not really young in, in terms of like comparison against everybody, but against LaRusa young guy, all right. And he's coming in, and he's got this whole thing about accountability, and we're gonna teach him how to do things, and we're gonna have these meetings every seven to ten days, and you know we're gonna we're gonna work on getting this guy going and fix this guy. And you're you're watching spring training, and you're seeing these positive things like Juan Mancada. You know he made what the all tournament team. So you see him go and do that. And so that worked out very well, him being in the WBC. And you see some of the pitchers really getting their stuff going. You got a healthy Lance Lynn. There's so many things happening. There's hope. Like the storyline could go any way here. And that's what makes it fascinating. They could go on a run, win the division, punch through deep into the postseason. And, you know, it could be just delirium all around the south side as we go through the season. They could also come out and stumble They could do the miserable thing where they just hover at 500 for half the year, and and they're going to be fascinating them because you're going to be sitting there going, what's next? Because there's no way they can continue. That is why they're the biggest story in town right now. They're going to be the biggest story in town. They're going to be the most interesting story in town, I would say, for at least the first half of the baseball season, no matter what happens to them.
1: Maybe except for just during the NFL draft.
0: But yeah, beyond yeah, that, well, yeah. the no, White Sox the, will be the biggest yeah, Nobody will talk, talk about them when we're right around the NFL draft, not in Chicago. No. That's why you got socks in the basement brought to you proudly by Cork and Carry at the park in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd and Princeton. Award-winning menu of burgers and ballpark favorites, an extensive rotation of craft beers, familiar favorites, spirits, and wines, and they're your home base. Pre-game, bring the whole family over, get a table indoors or outdoors, make it part of your ballpark experience. Post-game, let that lot clear out. All right, do a little postgame celebration after a win at the Cork and then head home. They are the home of the podcast for fans, by fans, Sox in the Basement, CorkandCarrie.com. All right, I see this thing, another storyline, which is just amazing to me. Listen to the Forbes article that just came out and what it tells you about the value of the White Sox and what the White Sox did this past year financially. The, the White Sox went from a valuation, according to Forbes, of $1.76 billion to $2.05 billion. They went up. They're slotted as the 15th most valuable team in Major League Baseball. They get this valuation market-wise, an $830 million valuation. Revenue sharing in the sport, $588 million on top of that. The stadium gives them another $383 million and their brand $249 million for that whopping figure. Meanwhile, the White Sox lost $53 million last year. What? Isn't that weird? So let me get this straight. The value of your team is going up and you're not making any money? At this point, to me, Ed, it feels like it's time to move on, Jerry. It's time to take your chips and cash them in. Like a like a guy who works, let's say, at a government job, my dad worked a government job. You get to 30 years. He was with the Chicago Police Department. You get to 30 years, you max out whatever that is, that number, you get to the age and the number, and you're at the most you're gonna get for your pension. You're basically losing money by staying there. You might as well take the money and the interest that compounds in that in that scenario and move on the greener pastures and enjoy the end of your life or make the profit that was at the end. You did it. You started and you got to the end. You did it. You were a successful business person. That's what it feels like to me. Like if I'm seeing that, my first reaction is, then why are you sticking around? And if you do want to stick around, why are you keeping the same people around you that lost you $53 million last year?
1: Because it's a tax write-off, you can offset it against all his other investments and businesses that are making money and then claim zero income for the year.
0: Wow. Leave it to you for me to sit there and be like, this is why you should sell the team. And then you're like, no, 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 just a crafty billionaire.
1: Yep. He's just a billionaire who's (laughs) sitting there going, you know, if the team keeps losing money... (laughs) <laughs> I don't have to say I made anything on the bulls
0: right. or on anything else. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for that story. We don't even need to approach it anymore. It's just aggravated. Well, yeah,
1: I, but I mean I I think there's some merit to what you're saying, though. I, I don't I don't know his taxes, obviously. Nobody knows his taxes except for him. But when you see a billionaire losing money on a on a major business, that's the first kind of thing that 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 pops up is like, well, Is this creative accounting so that the White Sox appear to have lost a bunch of money so that he can offset those losses against other gains elsewhere? It's infuriating, though, if that's the case. Okay, so if he's using the White Sox as a business write-off, then Jerry needs to sell the team because who that should infuriate is Rob Manfred. That should infuriate the other owners, to be honest with you, because that is against the idea of a competitive team right there.
0: Yeah, but he can make the argument of, look where my payroll is. Like, there's a lot of people doing a lot worse out there in terms of signing players than me.
1: And and that's the only thing he's got for him, right? Is to sit there and say, I'm, I'm kind of comfortably in the middle of the payroll. I'm, you know, maybe a little bit towards the top in certain years. I am out there trying to field a, a competitive team. I'm not the Pirates,
0: right? Like am not just, Bob Nutting. Right. He just kind of shrugs and goes, yeah, look at that guy though, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm not the A's. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: I'm I'm not the Pirates. I'm not the A's. I'm not one of these teams that is is doing absolutely nothing, even though that's kind of what I did for a few years there, by design. So I don't don't know that that is necessarily the situation, but that's also this thing, too, where as a fan, you sit there and you go, well, well, hold on a second here. So you're losing all this money. Are you going to turn around and look at the fans and sit there and say, it's our fault that the White Sox lose money that way because... We're not as supportive of the team because we're not, well, you can't say that either because attendance was huge last year and concession sales would go along with that and parking sales would go along with it. Really what I think it is, is I think it gets back to the whole media thing where Jerry doesn't make
0: enough money on TV and radio from the White Sox. But but compared to other major league baseball owners, he's doing well because I want to say it was ESPN put on an article and they, they broke down how some of these regional sports networks are failing. Right, And then they went through the other ones that were unhealthy and the White Sox weren't included on any of it. They were included in the last part that there are some of them that are doing very well, even though Major League Baseball eventually has talked about the idea of bringing everybody underneath the one umbrella. And then after you come underneath one umbrella, then we won't see any more blackouts or whatever, but they may take a couple of years. So his financial situation could be changing very quickly because if all of a sudden he's not able to make the money that he makes being the majority owner over at NBC Sports Chicago, then then how does that change things as well? I mean, it's something off in the distance to keep in the back of your mind when you see this report about the financials and wonder when does it end for the owner? Is he really going to die in office? I mean, or, or is there a point where it actually becomes more valuable to his family to say, I'm going to move now before this thing changes? And to sit there
1: and say that, You know, this is a situation that is untenable for me because I can't continue to pour resources into this. I'm not going to ever see those recouped, especially if the team is taking losses on an annual basis.
0: Right. But then again, as you just said, that might just all be part of his plan. Oh, my goodness. Those of you looking for the exterior window of your dreams, a door, a patio door, a storm door, there's one place to go on the south side. Window and door superstore of Oak Forest. There are no high pressure sales. I, I've met the owners. It's its incredible what they do. They, they don't show up at your home with a dingy window and uh, sit inside of your house and keep trying to convince you of what it's going to look like. And then hope that you'll sign something on the way out the door or that deal they just gave you is going to go away the moment they get in the car. They don't do that like everybody else. Instead, they tell you, come into our showroom, see everything we have. See it in the size that you're probably going to end up purchasing it in. You can see the etching in the windows and all the designs right there live and in person instead of looking inside of a catalog. You got an owner in the showroom. You got an owner out on site. They don't farm out the work. It's all their employees. You're going to get a perfect fit because they're going to customize everything. And they've been doing it this way for 40 years in Oak Forest since 1985. Stop in. Make it your first stop unless you've started already and now you have regrets. Make it your next stop. A half block east of 159th and Ridgeland at 6280 159th Street, Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. See more at WindowDoorOakForest.com.
1: So I'm I'm reading on the Athletic uh, an article about every team has one player that has the most to lose going into the 2023 season, and James Feegan picked Lucas Giolito for the White Sox. I get that. I agree with that. And he did it based on based on his, his it being his walk year and this is his chance to either
0: make money or
1: have to take a one-year prove it deal from someone.
0: If if Lucas Giolito went went out this year. If he goes out and he's a stud, right? He's he's in the Cy Young conversation. You're going to have somebody that's going to give him hundreds of millions of dollars. He is going to be that one of those really sought after players in free agency and the Sox aren't going to be keeping him. And I think we've talked about that too on the show. Like you want him to do well, but if he does as well as you want him to do this guy, this team, they're yeah, not paying be, him. He'll be somewhere else. He'll next be year. somewhere else. Okay. So this he'll will be really, a dodger. And, and you know what, to be honest with you, I don't care because I would rather have him have a great season and that means the team has a great season than to have him play poorly. And then he comes back and I'm still being sold hope while he takes like a, a smaller deal that he can get out of or move on from later on. I'd rather just get the really good year out of him at this point. And, and I kind of feel like it's coming because he's a smart guy. He knows exactly what's on the line. He's been talking about going out into the market for years He does it when he's live streaming and playing video games like he he's been talking about this for a long time. He knows exactly what's on the line. If he doesn't go out and do great, if he lets it get into his head that all this money's on the line, I think that's the only thing that trips him up. Really, I expect him to go out, be dominant, tell everybody, you know, you doubted me. Well, now I'm great. And then when he gets to the end of the year, no matter when that year ends, go out in a free agency and get paid. That's what I expect. So you're right. There's no other player on the team in which the season is more important than for Lucas Giolito.
1: Well, and so far in the spring, you want to talk about whether or not he's focused. 386 ERA, three games started, nine innings, nine and the third innings, uh, 118 whip, 200 average against him, leading the team in strikeouts with 15.
0: And you know what? I normally look at pitcher stats in spring, and I think to myself, they're probably inflated. He's probably even better than his stats because there are innings when they go out there and they're just working on stuff.
1: Right, well, I mean, by comparison, Dylan Cease has an 11.7 ERA still because he had that one outing where things just didn't go right and he's never going to recover from that in terms of of his spring stats. But, yeah, when you look at Giolito, you sit there and you go, I'm guessing the four earned runs he's given, probably, you know, two of those, he's given up two home runs. I'm guessing those two home runs or, or a couple of those runs that he's given up are from the Arizona air, right? You know, from from having somebody out in the outfield who doesn't belong out there or, uh, you know, a lesser infield behind him or something like that. So, yeah, you look at that and you go, he's having a dominant spring, you know, by comparison to what what you see from, from other players. I mean, he's no Tanner Banks with that 1.42 ERA and the .95 whip, but Lucas Giolito's looking to get paid this year. <laughs>
0: That music means it is time to nerd out with the Sox nerd. Dave Marin sits up in the scoreboard. He's actually in the scoreboard. He's in a beautiful area that's more behind home plate uh, with an amazing view. I've been there before. It's it's just gorgeous. He puts all of the, the, the stats and the trivia and the little intricacies up on the board during the game for you. And he joins us on Sox in the Basement. How are you, Dave?
2: Fantastic, Chris. How are you? I'm
0: ready to go, man. I'm ready for the season. I'm done with this spring training. Let's start.
2: Chris, the best book ever written on the White Sox is called Who's on Third by the great Rich Lindbergh. Well, this season, the Sox don't have the uncertainty of third that the excellent book addresses. We know, if healthy, and it appears this WBC rib injury is not serious, Yoan Mankata will be affixed at the hot corner for the Sox this season. And man, time flies. This will be the fifth year that Moncada is slated to be the Sox regular third baseman. If he makes somewhere around 145 appearances at third, Moncada will move into the top five all-time in Sox history in games at the position behind Ventura, Cam, Melton, and Creedy. You know my credo is always to forge for the positive or dig for the pony, as my late mother used to say. And admittedly, it was difficult to do that with Moncada last season. After all, this was a player who hit 169 with a 239 on base percentage at guaranteed rate field in 2022. Both of those outputs, by the way, were all-time White Sox lows. There is hope, I believe. Based on the back of his baseball card, Moncada is due for a good season. In fact, it's not 2023 we have to worry about with Moncada, it's 2024. Like Alex Rios of Maddening Days Gone By, Moncada alternates up and down seasons. He was bad in 2018, good in 2019. He was down in 2020, up in 2021. He was down in 2022, and so far he appears to be on track for a rebound if the aforementioned World Baseball Classic is any indication. In six games there, Moncada slashed 435, 519, 735 with one home run and six RBI. He also walked four times and struck out three times. That's more walks than strikeouts in earning. The third base spot on the WBC's all tournament team. This coming off a strong finish of 2022, where he posted monthly best in September with a 252 average and a 466 slugging percentage with five homers. I know we're dealing with a small sample size here, but based on what we went through last season, I'm clinging to it. Now, plummeting down another rabbit hole. Moncada is on track to become only the third switch hitter in White Sox history to reach the century mark in homers. He is third in team annals here currently with 82 homers behind the stash, Jose Valentin, and one of my all-time favorites, Ray Durham's 106. That trio are the only switch hitters to reach double figures in bombs in four seasons. And if Moncada can't go or gets hurt, Jake Berger, who is having a great spring, is waiting in the wings. Or what the heck? Put TA there because he's shown he does not need any notice before trying out a new position. That's it, Chris. That's
0: the hot scoop on the hot corner. The Sox Nerd is brought to you by the Law Offices of Parente and Norum. If you've been injured, you need a team that will do what it takes to fight for your rights. Insurance companies only care about one thing, the bottom line. The Law Offices of Parente and Norum has a team with experience, dedication, and proven results it takes to get you the care and compensation you deserve. Sox in Basement listeners, get a free case evaluation. Call or text them today at 312-641-5926 or visit pninjurylaw.com.
2: Two hot corner zingers. Prior to Joan Moncada, the last Cuban to start on opening day for the White Sox at third base was Manny Minoso in 1954. And do you want to take a crack at who the Sox starting third baseman was in the 2000 home opener? That's the 2000 home opener.
0: Oh, man, I don't know. Herbert Perry?
2: You would think it would be Herbert Perry, but no, it was the king, Paul Canerco, one of his rare third base appearances in
0: the 2000 home opener. Wow! Paul Canerco was the opening day third baseman of the year 2000? At
2: the, In the home opener, yeah.
0: In the home opener. Alright, well
2: still. That's crazy. It was one of the last games he ever played
0: at third base. Yeah, I, I should hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Socks nerd Dave Marin joins us each and every week. Thanks so much Dave. Can't wait to see you out at the ballpark.
2: Thank you, sir.
0: Socks in the basement listeners do the hard work. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Meanwhile, I saw some reports that Luis Robert believes that playing in the WBC made him prepared, more prepared than he would have been in spring training for the regular season. You want to talk about a guy in Lucas Giolito of which it's the most important season for him as a player. Luis Robert is the most important player for the team this year and I think for the fan base, because if he doesn't get going, if he doesn't become what we've been waiting for him to become consistently and uninjured, I don't know how far this team can go. And I don't know how much you how much positivity you have in the long term. He's very important. Remember he was compared to Mike Trout recently in his career before last season began, this could be the next Mike Trout. Well, in the WBC, even though he's telling me that he got it going, Luis Robert goes out and hits 259 with a 582 OPS. He has seven hits, and only one of them was an extra base hit. He's putting the ball into the ground. He's not showing me anything that he's ready to go for the season. Meanwhile, Mike Trout went out there and hit 296 with a 962 OPS. And did a lot better. I mean, Robert has eight strikeouts and no walks in the WBC. And no
1: steals. He hasn't stolen a base.
0: Right. How are you telling me that this prepared you for the season? You don't look ready to me. I mean, you want to point at the last week and he hit 400? He was two for five. That's just because it's a small sample size. It's not enough. Uh, he's the guy who concerns me the most on this team. He he frightens me to death. Because I, although I really loved it, and we talked about it on the last episode, I really loved the idea that he was trying to power through his injury when some other guys weren't last year, he's in a really bad habit as to how the ball is coming off the bat. His launch angle has completely changed. He's beating the ball into the ground. And I don't see a guy who's a middle-of-the-order guy right now. If I look at the end of his year last year and what I'm seeing in spring and in the WBC, he frightens me because we need him to be good.
1: Well, yeah, and and if you're looking at it and going small sample size, small sample size, don't worry about it, 27 at-bats, six games in the WBC. You gave the numbers, 259 and a 582 OPS. Okay, fine. So what would he be doing? What's the equivalent of what he would be doing in spring if he was still sitting there with the White Sox? Well, in 26 at-bats, Victor Reyes has hit 269 with a 721 OPS because he's got one extra double compared to – Robert, in, in over, over his seven hits, and he's got four walks, eight Ks. I mean, you know, if you're comparing Luis Roberts Jr. to other center fielders or other outfielders that are available, Victor Reyes shouldn't be the guy that I come up with as being one of the closest ones, especially when in the World Baseball Classic. If you want to compare it to what other players are doing, Tyler O'Neill has more hits, a 615 average, 1.491 for Team Canada. Mike Trout, one more game, same number of at bats, well, a few more plate appearances because he had five walks. But Trout stole a base at 296, as a nine sixty-two OPS. Guys are hitting here, okay, and guys are actually getting going. You know, he, I mean, heck, I'm looking at the center fielders underneath him is Kike Hernandez of the of the uh, Red Sox, who hit 300 with seven ninety-one OPS. Hernandez is not anywhere near the talent level of Luis Robert. So Robert's saying that he feels like he's gotten going. Maybe he's seeing the ball well. Maybe he feels healthy. Like Maybe that's what he's talking about. But if he's talking about that he feels like he's making solid contact and doing a good job, I would have to direct him to just about every other center fielder that's playing right now because he's kind of
0: not doing the job.
1: Like it, it, this, the, the, the results just aren't there.
0: And look, we're not the only alarmist on the Luis Robert thing. ESPN just put out a list of the top 100 MLB players, and he made it. He's towards the bottom and they literally describe him as being overrated. Like he has to put together a consistent season because you see it. You know the talents there. Like he does have that capability to be that guy. Like I, I I believe it. I watch him out there playing. He passes the eye test. He passes the test of when he's healthy and he's going. Like he is a monster that should be feared by every pitcher in the league when he's going. And he has all the talent and capability and he needs to get over his bumps. Like I, I look at a guy like Aloy Jimenez, who's dealt with some injury, who uh, you know, wasn't really able to get around on the ball after that injury in the shortened season. Remember, like he, he tore those muscles right. and they were like, OK, in 2021, he probably isn't going to be the same powerful hitter. This is going to take a while. He'll be back and being able to play, but he's not going to be able to get around on that ball and power it out of the ballpark with the same consistency of what he was before. Eventually, he will. Then we saw a stretch last year where he looked otherworldly and we're like, yeah, that's the guy. And you see him in spring, you're like, he's ready to go. Here's a guy who's gone through his own set of adversities and his own injuries, and he's been able to figure it out. Luis Robert's the next thing. He's got to be the number one priority. I mean, forget all this worry about who's on the bench, right? For, forget all that. For, forget about worry about Dylan Cease's one bad game at the beginning of spring. The The most important thing on this team is the guy that's roaming center field. He, he's, the, he's the most important thing that needs to get going that I'm nervous about going into the season. And, and it goes back to my argument of, I thought the WBC was fun. It was exciting. I, I think it was perfect for Johan Mancada. I would love it if teams had the ability to say no. Because I think the White Sox would have said no. And they would have said, we want Luis Robert to stay back here and work with our hitting instructors because he needs to work with our staff. He says that it made him it made him better. I don't know if it did because I didn't see the results on the field when he was doing it. I see a lot of the problems that he's been having since he suffered that late that injury last year, and he was swinging everything with one hand. And they they got to get him going. And it, it, I'm telling you, it may be the most concerning thing that, that uh, about the team. If he gets going, print the playoff tickets because I, I believe in everything else right now. I believe Juan mangada is going to have an up year. Sox nerd was talking about it. I'm with him. One up year, one down year, one up year, one down year. He's due. All right. I'm with you on that one. Tim Anderson looks like he's ready to take on the world. And the WBC has just gotten him going.
1: Oh, it, it, to the point where people were mad that that he got benched.
0: Right. He got pinch hit for it and, and there were people mad about it. And you know what? He wasn't an original starter on that team. His, he, he looked at that and said, wait a minute, I'm Tim Anderson. I should be starting. I'll play second for crying out loud. I'll take that job. And no less than Mike Trout is sitting there going, that's my guy. Right, and he looks focused and ready to go. And also like a guy who is aware, much like Lucas Giolito is this year, that in a couple of years, he's free of the team as well. And there's a big payday w- waiting for him, probably not with the White Sox again, a big payday waiting for him of one of these massive deals that you see handed out to to shortstops. Who And, and it might even be one where they hand him out a massive deal and he moves over to second because he just proved that he can go and play anywhere. So now you're like, well, we could start him as a shortstop, but if he gets older later on in this in this whole thing, you see how he played second base, this guy can do anything. And he's a gamer. So like there's so much positivity as you move around the diamond and what everybody's doing. But it's gonna really hurt if you got that guy who's expected to be sitting, you know, in the two spot or the three spot, where, wherever they're lining him up, but he's up towards the top of the order with that speed, he's gotta be stealing bases and hitting the ball off the wall or over the wall. And, and you know and and he's not quite there yet. So that's that's my only thing. Like I think this team even if he gets off to a slow start, this team can go out and win more games than it loses. It should not be hovering at 500 miserably like it did all last year. But again, that where Luis Robert goes this year is going to be the difference between whether or not you're just happy with winning a division or if you are frightening when you get to October baseball. Cuz you could be frightening when you get to October baseball.
1: And that goes along, I think, the lines of of what people are saying about not being able to replace Jose Abreu with Andrew Vaughn. Well, Andrew Vaughn can grow a little bit, but Johan Moncada needs to have the better year. You're right. And don't tell me that the WBC results or spring training results don't mean something because Aloy Jimenez hitting over four hundred in both, you know, in both situations, both at the WBC and in spring, and you need him healthy. And everyone's always said, well, you know, he needs to stay healthy. That's why he's DHing because we don't want him on the bench anymore. We don't want him on the injured list. We want Aloy Jimenez in the lineup every single day because it's that important. And it's not just health with Luis Robert Jr. That's that's the thing that I think is, is, you're right, is getting lost in this, is that if he doesn't play up to the standards, and I mean the standards that were lofty as all get out when he came up. If he turns into, frankly, another Johan Moncada.
0: Oh, I don't think he can be that.
1: I, I hope don't not. think so either. I, I I think he's got more talent than Moncada, which isn't a slight on Johan Moncada in any way, shape, or form. I think Robert has. I think Robert is, is could and
0: should be one of the most foremost talents in the major leagues. But here's the thing you're saying, and I think I can I can decipher this very quickly. You you have Aloy Jimenez. And you, you hear his name out loud and you say, could be the MVP of this team. I say Tim Anderson, you hear his name out loud, you go, could be the MVP of this team this year. I say Luis Robert, and you're not thinking that right now, and you should be. I'm hoping he's better than Victor Reyes and Adam Hazley. Oh, my goodness. Well, if he's not, we're all going to be walking around trying to find those hard-to-find food items instead of watching the games. Uh, yeah, oh, there's new food items, too, that we're never going to see, right? I don't even want to talk about them. I thought about doing it for the show. Forget it. I'm never going to find any of them anyway. I'm just going to go to the cork and eat. <laughs> that's my plan. I,
1: I saw I saw a picture. I saw something that looked like a sandwich, something else that looked like a thing. A I didn't thing, see anything huh? in a helmet, so I'm not that excited. <laughs> and and I didn't look in to see what they were because it, it's just, you know what I'm going to end up doing? I'm going to end up having to settle for just a regular old hot dog
0: because that's what I'll find. They look unattainable, just like the pretzel the pretzel dog last year. They look unattainable to me. Uh, I I know that the app didn't get the food to you very quickly and sometimes never last year. And uh, the game is going to be moving so quick. They would be better served by unveiling brand new vendor things where they can walk around and bring the food to your seat again like they used to. Because nobody's going to get up and waste two innings with the pace of play to go looking for a sandwich. I don't think I don't think real fans are getting up and missing two, three innings of a of a game, especially an important game to go get something to eat. You know, what they should have unveiled was here are our food items that we're going to be walking up and down the aisles again giving out, and this is how we're going to do the payments quickly because the way we did it last year didn't work. They won't do that though. That's why they lost fifty three million dollars last year.
2: Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement.